Good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Good morning for those of you that are watching um, through video and through our live feed. Um, we're excited that you're here today and that you're joining with us um, and listening um, and getting um, a little bit of God uh, today for us. Um, today, I'd like to start with a question for you. If someone uh, that you met, someone that you work with, asked you this question, who do you believe that Jesus is? How would you respond to that? How would you respond to who Jesus is? Well, today, we're going to wrestle with just that question. Who is Jesus? Actually, we're going to keep uh, our prayers going that um, in two weeks from today in worship, and again then at 3 o'clock, Bob, I, I just know it's going to go forward, uh, we're going to be treated to this wonderful drama at some point on the Gospel of John. So keep your ears open and mark your calendars when we have it all set. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. So in preparation for that day, today and next Sunday, myself this week and next week, Pastor Laura, we're going to be setting up the Gospel of John for you. In the next couple of weeks, we hope that you will take time to read the Gospel of John. Get your Bibles out. It's the last Gospel. We'd like you to take a long, deep look at its purpose and at its meaning. It's a great study for the Lenten season. So um, it, that's a way that we can all be connected as well, by reading and studying all the same things. So um, here we go. We're going to dive in. Um, today's message, I just kind of want to warn you, is a bit academic, but I'll try not, try not to tune me out, okay, or turn me off um, if there's those of you at home. So hang in there with me. We're going to try to hit the heart as well as the mind, okay? Before we read today's passage, though, you need a little bit of background. The book of John, most believe, was written by the disciple John himself, the son of Zebedee. And John was that inner circle of Jesus's you know, with James and Peter. So it's James, Peter, John, and Jesus. Those four um, are really very close. We actually know that the author of this was an eyewitness to Jesus' life. And that's very important as we're reading through the book. John wrote more than just this gospel. He wrote first, second, Third, okay, come on, they can't hear you. First, second, third John, and the last one, Revelation. He wrote Revelation as well. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, John became this very heroic pastoral theologian to the area of Asia Minor. And he spread the gospel in that way. Few books in the Bible um, have as much influence in the life 
and in the thought of our Christendom as the Gospel of John does. It's a very important book. It's very important to our belief system. Now the date of this writing is somewhere between 70 and 110 AD. Definitely written within the first generation of Christians. One of the earlier books. Now all four of the Gospels tell the story of Jesus' appearance in human, human history. But John explores two facets of, of, for the reason of Jesus' coming. These two things are revelation and redemption. Today, I'm going to take on the revelation portion of this book. And next week, Pastor Laura will be tackling the redemption. The book of John is broken down into these two main sections. Revelation and Redemption. Chapters 1 through 12, um, some scholars call these chapters the book of signs. They tell about Revelation. Then chapters 13 through 21, some scholars call this the book of glory. And that tells about the redemption. Okay, we've made it to the point where we can read the scriptures. So, turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 1. People of God, this is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and though the world was not through, through him, the, I'll start again, 10. He was in the world and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born of not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So in this passage, we need to first determine what or who is this word 
In Greek, the word is logos. It actually means word. But in this capitalized form, it becomes a name for someone. And actually, that name means revelation of God. This word, word, means revelation of God. If we replace that word, word, with the revelation of God, it reads something like this. In the beginning was the revelation of God, and the revelation of God was with God, and the revelation of God was God. He was with God in the beginning. The revelation of God. John intends to place before us this idea that Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is God. The deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God. What Jesus does, God does. What God does, Jesus does. They are one in the same. John gives us a beautiful, um, telling us a beautiful uh, verse of, of why it was important for him to write this gospel that looks at revelation and redemption. And I'm going to move into Pastor Laura's territory for next week. But John gives us this beautiful reason of why he wanted to write this gospel. And it's in John uh, 20, verse 34. And it says this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. John writes this gospel. He writes about revelation and he writes about redemption so that each of us can know and believe that Jesus Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God with flesh on. Now, just take a minute and think about that from a Jewish perspective. God, in this particular time, was either in the tabernacle or the temple. Only very few ever got to be in the presence of God. The general public was not allowed to be in the Holy of Holies. Only the representatives could, could go before God. And John, in his writing, saying that Jesus is God, is saying that Jesus is not only visible, God is not only touchable, God can hear, God can be heard, God can see, God can be seen with, his, with your very own eyes and your very own ears, and God is walking among his people. That's revolutionary thought. You see, God was always separated from the people. And John now is saying to those same people that God is walking among his people. So John, in his gospel, sets out to prove to the reader that Jesus is God. 
So we're going to do a quick outline of how John plays this out for the reader. I won't get too specific, but as you read and as you watch the drama in the coming days, you can be looking of how John has set about to convince the reader that Jesus is revelation and Jesus is redemption. So in chapters 1 and 2, we start out with initial days of revelation. Those initial days of revelation, Jesus starts first by revealing himself to his disciples. If you read those couple of chapters, you'll see that actually John has separated the events by days. You'll read things like, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And he's revealing himself slowly to the disciples. Then, in chapters 2 through 6, Jesus moves into revealing himself to the world. We get to start to see his miracles, the miracle of changing water into wine. Now, I'm going to stop here because I've been talking a lot. So I wanted to share a little with you about this particular um, miracle and uh, how important it is in my life. One time, my daughter Kara gave me this lovely birthday card. And I know you probably can't see it, but there's a person in the car, and she um, glued my head to it. And then there's a police officer and on the outside it says, Reverend, have you been drinking? And I say, just water, officer. And the officer on the inside, which she put my head on the person again, says, then why do I smell wine? And I say, good Lord, he's done it again. <laughs> Isn't that a great? It, I, I will never throw this card away. It, it's great. But we start to see those miracles, changing water into wine. We see the feeding of the 5,000. We see Jesus walking on the water. We see the healing at the pool. Jesus is starting to teach about himself, but through these miracles, we can start to see that Jesus is not just human. At the temple, Jesus starts to teach about if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. Remind, starting to tell the people that he is more than just human, that he is God. He teaches Nicodemus about spiritual birth, and he teaches the Samaritan woman about being living water, and he gives life after death to a royal official son. All of these teachings pointing to who and what Jesus is all about. Then, in chapter 7, we turn a corner. Jesus starts to take on the Old Testament feasts and laws of the Jewish people, and he starts to teach that he is the fulfillment of God's grace 
so that these feasts and laws that were meant to remind people of God's ordinances and God's grace to them, that they would take on new meaning for us. And Jesus starts to fulfill revealing himself as Messiah. Not only not just human, but now he's taking the turn into saying he is the Messiah. We start to see these in some of the same ways. He starts by uh, healing on the Sabbath. He multiplies the loaves and the fishes. He talks about what it is, the difference between children of God and children of the devil. He heals the blind man and teaches about what real sight is. He starts to talk to the people about being part of a flock and what it means to be a shepherd. And he could be their shepherd. And lastly, he raises Lazarus from the dead, all pointing and showing himself to be the revelation of God, to be the Messiah here on earth in human form. And as we will see next week, ready to redeem each of us. So that's my chapters. Let's go back to my first question. Who is Jesus? One of my favorite authors, um, C.S. Lewis, has this famous quote. And it's from his book, Mere Christianity. If you've never read Mere Christianity, it's a classic. You need to pick it up and read it. it it's wonderful. He does a great job of explaining our faith. But C.S. Lewis has this quote that says, Jesus is one of three things. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. He is God. And this is what he says. This is his quote. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I cannot accept his claim to be God. We've all heard that, right? That's the one thing we must not say, says C.S. Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a liar or a lunatic. We must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something else. Man, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him. You can kill him. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a good human teacher. Jesus has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. 
You see, Jesus proclaimed himself to be God. And if he's not God, then he's a liar or a lunatic. And nothing else he's ever said can hold any water. So, who is Jesus? If Jesus is Lord, if you can say he is God, what does that mean for you? Does it mean that you can take his teachings lightly? Can you ignore them? Or does it mean you may need to change something in your life? Can you sit back and not do what he's asked you to do? Or do we need to step up and serve this lost, broken, and right now sick world? But here's kind of the clincher. If you say Jesus is Lord and don't change your life, what does that mean? Is Jesus really your Lord? Do you see him as God? Orchard Hill, we have a great opportunity in these next few weeks to use our actions and our voices to share who Jesus is, God himself. He told us to feed the children. He told us to take care of the elderly. Children are going to need food. Sick people are going to need to take care, be taken care of. Parents are going to need child care. It's a wonderful time where we can step up and declare with our actions and our voice and our time and our money that Jesus is who he says he is, God himself in human form. Will you join us in the next few weeks declaring as loud as you can, Jesus is God. So that people here in Walker, Michigan will know, just as John said thousands of years ago, that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's why we do what we do as Christians. Not to work our way into grace, but to proclaim that Jesus is God. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth 
proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. May you be blessed this week. May you know the presence of the living God, and may you share that Jesus is Lord, Lord of all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for being with us.